Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. If you are new here, welcome. If you are our disruptor family, welcome back. We have a really awesome episode today. And before I dig in, I am your American Dental Hygiene host, Melissa. And I'm your Australian Dental Hygiene host, Tabitha. So today we have a really awesome guest. We're so excited to have on. Her name is Johnny Scott. We call her Johnny. And um, we met her on the internet. And she is a dental hygienist that has such an amazing, incredible story. And we are so psyched to have her on. So Johnny, welcome to the show. I am excited and kind of ner- you know, nervous-sided to be here. Nervous-sided. I love that word. That's amazing. <laughs> So for all our episodes, um, all our listeners know, we like to take it back um, and really start the beginning of your story. So you're finishing high school. How, what happened and how did you end up become, training to be a dental hygienist? Oh, man. So, um, well, when I was finishing high school, I went to Columbia College Chicago and um, as a poetry major. Um, I wanted to be a writer and lasted about half a semester and decided that I um, didn't want to be uh, completely broke for my entire life and needed (laughs) needed another plan um, and just left Columbia College and went to my local community college to try to basically figure things out. Um, But to backtrack further, from that, uh, I grew up in dentistry. Uh, I started working in dental offices when I was like 12. My my mom was an office manager and uh, coming from a really tumultuous background, uh, I had a very chaotic childhood and I would go after, you know, after school every day and help my mom out and you know get paid to file back when we had paper charts some offices still have paper charts um (laughs) but you know go and file and you know stock rooms and just help out around the office and it would help you know just keep me busy make a little money for myself and so it was just it was a safe space um so so yeah it just i was always comfortable in in dentistry and so when I went to community college and was trying to figure my stuff out I went to you know back to that office that I kind of grew up in and went to get my teeth cleaned and I remember like sitting in the dental chair looking up at my hygienist and was like how how did you go to school for this like it just had never occurred to me to to be a hygienist at it was never presented as an option um, to me. It, my parents were always like, you can be anything you want when you grow up, but they never had, they didn't know how to show me 
how to be that anything. It was just kind of sad. You can do anything you want, but we don't know how to get you there or show you how to get to that point. So, so yeah, uh, I started taking my prerequisites and it took me about two years. And when, as soon as I finished my, you know, was in class for the last prereq, decided to apply to hygiene school and, and got in and the journey <laughs> began. <laughs> That's awesome. That's funny because you and I have a really similar story. My mother also is an office manager in, in uh, the dental world and I worked with her too. Got fired at home all the time. Used to have to call my boss and be like, do I still have a job? Mom fired me. Um, but <laughs> but um, it's funny because like you were never kind of pushed into the dental hygiene arena, but like me from the second I walked through the threshold of that office, they were like, you got to go to hygiene school. You got to go to hygiene school. You got to go to hygiene school. So it's just interesting how we have like this, a similar story, but different tracks of that. So how did you, how, how were you in like during hygiene school? Cause it's either like people absolutely hated it. It was a two, two plus years of like, horror or people are like this is my world i love this this was amazing so how was that for you i i, I mean it i liked it there were a couple classes that i struggled in um like histology was not for me <laughs> but i loved it i don't when people are like it was the worst time you know it was the worst of yeah. times and it was the hardest thing ever and i didn't have that experience i school and like testing and studying, it's always something that's kind of come naturally to me, luckily. Um, so I've always enjoyed school and learning and like I will always want to learn, like give me all the information. It's just how I'm built. So it really, it wasn't a struggle for me. I really, I liked being there. Um, yeah. And I'm just awesome. go I'm going back to school to finish my bachelor's and hopefully going farther than that. So good for you. Congratulations. That's awesome. So then um tell us a little bit, share us a little with us a little bit about how like once you got your license and you were in the field, like what kind of um practice were you working in? How how all the fields for you, like how did it how did it go? So once I was licensed, I worked in just different private practices around the Chicagoland area, and it just, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, I went to a really good hygiene program and was, I just had the standard in my head. And then getting out in private practice, it was, I was like, what is this? What are they doing? <laughs> 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 this, this is not is what not I was taught right. to do. Exactly. Yeah. And then also, you know, I'm I I have ADHD and those of us who are neuro, neurodivergent, we we tend to like things a certain way and be very like it has to be this way. And I didn't know that then, but knowing it now, um I would get very upset because it's like it's supposed to be this way. And, you know, now I can have a conversation with my employer, like, you know, I, I think we should really consider incorporating this um, and open that conversation. But at the time it was like, you know, you're, you guys aren't doing things right. I'm out. Um, and 
I worked for about full time in different offices for about three years and just was really unhappy. Um, I just felt like a profi factory and it just, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It, it just hygiene felt like people coming just to like the barber shop instead of providing a medical service, if, if that makes sense. And it, it, it wasn't what so I was there for. Yeah, no, that's, and, and I mean, I, I think there's so many clinicians that can resonate with that. And, and that's, I feel one of the hardest things for new clinicians graduating is that exactly what you said, like when you get out into the real world, what you were taught and what you see in the culture within the practice are two very different things. Yeah. And I, I feel like new hygienists are so inexperienced and they're just so happy that someone's taking a chance on hiring them that they go into agreement with the culture of the practice, even though that they know it's not what they should be doing because they're like, they're stuck in this in-between phase. So, and, and then it comes down to your personal, you know, your personality. And do you rise up and say something or do you just like quietly agree and do it and, and be unhappy? And I think all three of us can agree at some point in our career, just with different levels of maturity, we've gone into agreement with things that, you know, us now would be like, oh, hell no, right? Yeah. Stand up and fight back. But, you know, I, Tabitha and I have openly admitted about some of the things we're embarrassed that we've done as baby hygienists because we just didn't know any better, you know? And you, it, that's where I think mentorship and support is so huge in this profession because you can just take a mental and physical beat down on a daily basis and, and just get burnt out. And then, you know, we see it all the time in, in social media, all the people in the groups, like just, I hate hygiene or like a, a, a somebody who just got accepted in hygiene school will say, Hey guys, I'm so excited. I just got accepted. Tell me about like what I'm getting into. And people are like, don't do it. Turn around, <laughs> yeah. go the other way. And then I feel yep. so bad for this like little person who's all excited, you know, and you just peed in their Cheerios yep. and they now are like, and like, you know, looking at their decision and be like, oh my gosh, am I doing the right thing? So, um, you know, I, I feel like it's something that's so just current and needs to be addressed within our profession. And it goes, and, and you know, it's something that's a global issue because, you know, Tabitha in Australia, her, the way that things are structured there is very different. Like they can practice independently. We can't, but they experience the same things. So, and, and the more guests that we have on the episodes, um, that are just from different areas of the world, they're experiencing the same things too. So, you know, it's, it's, it, there's such a vibration of change and there's so much that needs to change right now. Um, there's more evidence than ever to facilitate the need for us to practice healthcare rather than be the barbershop. I like to say manicurist. We're kind of like just polishing, polishing nails, polishing teeth, same kind of thing. But there's, there's so much evidence to prove that we need to, to raise the bar. And um, I don't know what the answer is. I would like to say if we had some independence as a profession, we might see more shifting in that. But, you know, it's we're, we're yeah. still kind of in that 1%. Yes. But also the problem is that there's there's so many hygienists who don't want the independence as well. You're right. If you go into hygiene groups and you see the conversations and, you know, a lot of hygienists are happy just with how things are and to just, you know, scale some teeth, go home, not think about it. And, you know, so I think there's room for both. Um, yeah. 
you know, and what what are the needs for for us as clinicians and for the patients as well? Um, there there has to be room for both, but we need to be able to expand where we're at and, and say yeah. we like there needs we need a mid level, like we there needs to be another level of clinician. And I know we're getting like dental therapists. And there is the advanced, you know, hygiene practitioner in some states, but it really needs to be expanded. Because um, what's what's going on ain't, ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And for our international listeners in the United States, even though dental hygiene was born in our country, we have very, we have a lot of limitations. So like, Johnny is in the Chicago area. I'm in New Jersey. If I move to her area, I could not just start practicing. I need to get a, a license in her state. I am not licensed in her state. We do not have a national license. We have individual state licenses. Some license will take, uh, some states will take my license and the work I've done to achieve mine by reciprocity. Others will not. And you have to actually go through the whole process of taking boards again, which Johnny, isn't that what you've done recently as well? Yes, and actually, so I recently moved from Illinois to Michigan. So I'm currently in Detroit. And even though I was licensed in Illinois in 2006, um, I had to go through taking boards again um, to get my Michigan license, even though there's a hygiene shortage. You know, even though I've been licensed for almost 15 years, I had to go go through i had to take um the computerized board exam so i spent four months studying past naturally um <laughs> but and then also i i asked the michigan dental board am i gonna have to take the clinical board exam and they were like no 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 you're fine i had a feeling like i'm gonna have to i'm gonna end up having to take this clinical board so i signed up for it anyway in the midst of the licensing process, they changed the law and I ended up oh. having to take the clinical board. So oh I was so goodness. grateful that I had the foresight to sign up for it. So I ended up taking both and finally received my Michigan license in um, June, June of 2022. The whole process took about a year. Oh, you know, wow. It's, it just, and I have another friend who I went to hygiene school with who just finished taking written and clinical boards to get licensed in Florida. And it's just, why, why is it so difficult for clinicians yeah. who want to practice, who have the education, who are going above and beyond with continuing education? You know, I even, I went and took a week long intensive course, you know, um, get a lot of like, I took like 50 CEs, you know, just to kind of let the state know, hey, you know, I'm not just trying to come in here and not know what I'm doing. And they were just like, no, you have to take boards. And the board exam that I took was the mannequin exam, which was oh, nothing gosh. like, nothing like mm -hmm. a patient exam, nothing like working on our actual mouth. So, and now we have students coming in. Uh, now I'm just ranting and raving <laughs> at this point, but we have students coming in taking this mannequin exam, and it's not even an accurate measure of what the clinician can do. And I agree. I cannot. Like, I, I just, 
there's so much missing in that yeah there's so much missing in that clinical exam and um you know Tabitha and I both work in education as well and we were we were just talking about wrapping up our uh, fall semester and talking about the things on the horizon for the spring with the students and we do a mock board to kind of prepare mm -hmm. them for this exam and it's it's just such an absolute joke because it's uh, we, we're again teaching to be proficient at removing calculus which is in my opinion one of the lowest levels of importance of what we do like i would like to make sure that we are making hitting a benchmark on an oral cancer screening right because that saves somebody's life how do you how do you assess and probe a mannequin like how do we calibrate on that like it just doesn't make sense to me um there's there's a lot of room for improvement um this mannequin exam yeah. i understand it was the best we could do with the situation uh you know during the pandemic but I think that there's a lot of room for improvement. We need to do better. Yeah. And to hear a seasoned yeah. hygienist go through it and your experience is just, you know, proof in the pudding that we need to do better. Well, I mean, relatively seasoned because in that in that time, I will admit, I did have time off <laughs> from hygiene. So I want I do want to be transparent that I did, you know, I did step away from hygiene. Um, you know, that experience working in those private practices in Chicago, when I got pregnant with my first child, I couldn't wait to get out of hygiene. Uh, you know, I was miserable. I did not like it. I couldn't wait to get out of it. And then, you know, just use, use that as an excuse when I was put on bed rest to step away. Um, and then, you know, dealt with health issues and mental health issues and you know when I was ready to come back I decided I'm gonna do it different this time I'm not gonna just be quiet and do what you know the dentist wants and settle for any practice and if I'm gonna come back I'm gonna be loud and make a bang and be myself because there's also you know I am a I'm a queer black woman and have all the diversity in one package basically you know basically <laughs> and 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 hygiene you know and when i went to hygiene school everyone looked a certain way you know there were a few people who looked a little different but dentistry here in america everyone looks a certain way and it's it's hard to be different. Um, and part of the reason I look to Detroit, I, I work in a black owned dental practice. You know, I live in a very diverse neighborhood. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's part of the reason that I moved here um, was to, to build confidence in myself and just be part of something different. And to be to be loud and proud and come in and I'll keep it PG, but come in and f it up, and you know. It's okay, we have truck driver now, so you can curse. Yeah, we put explicit warnings. <laughs> yeah, good. But just to really just like make waves, you know, hygiene needs to change, and. Like it really, it really does. It needs to change. Um, and that can be scary 
and you know i have i have a history of trauma and i'm a survivor and i'm using a lot of that and a lot of my healing in my career and to connect with patients and i think that is really helpful in what i do today and having that experience over you know before i came back to hygiene all all the stuff that i experienced and all the stuff that i went through makes me a better clinician so going back to being a black queer dental hygienist how do you think that has shaped your experience in the hygiene world um i think you know it gives me it gives me a different perspective um you know even when it comes down to relating to my patients i understand that not everybody can afford a water pick i understand that um you know certain patients are gonna be more prone to certain you know oral health issues um most patients that I see have heart disease. You know, it just taking a lot of cultural considerations in in mind, having cultural sensitivity, even if it's not my culture, but just knowing that there's going to be cultural differences. And if I am going to communicate with somebody, I have to keep that in mind. And, you know, just a lot of things that people don't consider when patients aren't accepting treatment there's a reason they're not accepting the treatment and sometimes it's a communication thing and we have to learn how to earn their trust and respect and it's not always going to be that first appointment you're doing the cleaning just and you're getting them in and out okay floss brush and floss brush twice a day and floss and they're going to say yes okay and you know, sometimes you have to build the trust, meet them where they're at, and and take their entire lives into consideration. And I think, you know, having that sensitivity that I want my life taken into consideration. You know, I was denied treatment that I needed for a decade because people looked at me and saw something and thought, you know, thought what they thought about me because of how I looked and how I presented. And I don't want anybody else to experience that. Yeah. So, you know, I just have to commend you, Johnny, because like that's, we have either like a right or a responsibility with, with things that happen to us in our lives. And sometimes people think that it's a right to, you know, just be angry, close down, be negative when something bad happens to you and then others rise up and say, you know what? No, this is a responsibility to make change and, and raise awareness and share and do things differently. And that's what I see you doing with what you're sharing. And that's absolutely amazing and incredible. Thanks. I, I, I'm trying. It's, you know, it's a process. It's day by day. <laughs> I still get angry. You know, sometimes I don't want to, but it's, it's just one, you know, an hour at a time, a patient at a time. And I just try to extend the same understanding to myself. <laughs> so 
um, do you think, well, we've had um, another guest on one of our other episodes um, who he spoke about um, being worried in interviews that being queer was going to stop him from getting jobs or has that been a barrier at all? You know, we were talking, he was an Australian uh, dental hygienist. Um, Have you found that a barrier in your career in America or that hasn't been an issue at all? Um, No, because it's a recent realisation. Um, no, yeah, so it's, it's a new, not, it's not a new thing, it, but it is, I'm newly out, I will say. Yeah. I've been, I've lived my life closeted and miserable and, you know, I'm recently separated and, you know, I have three children and part of, you know, saying I'm hygiene needs to change. I'm going to be loud and make waves. That's in my personal life as well. And just living a fully authentic life. Um, if a practice doesn't want to hire me because I'm queer, because I want to change hygiene, because I'm not going to do treatment that I don't think is necessary because I'm going to advocate for a patient's needs. I don't need to be in that practice. Um, it, you know, that, and that's, that's all there is to it. If, if you don't want to hire me because I look the way I do, because, you know, I shave my head or, you know, um, whatever it may be then I don't, I don't want to be there. So it's let, I hope they make it known that they don't want to hire me because that's not where I, I don't need that energy. Yeah, most definitely. What advice, you know, um, we probably have some listeners that haven't come out themselves yet. What advice would you give to some of our listeners who may be feeling worried about it or, you know, not, not feeling comfortable about doing that yet? Um, if you're not, just like I tell my kids, you know, I have a, a trans son, um, which kind of led to my own realization was talking to my kid. I actually, I was like, oh, everybody feels this way. No, they do not. <laughs> just everybody feels the way you feel. No, they actually don't. It's it's because you're queer, honey. Um, if you're not safe, then you need to be safe before you speak your truth. You know, um, your safety is the most important thing. And there are safe people out there. So find your people, um, because they exist. And I know you can feel really alone but you're not alone. And I'm, I'm on Instagram. You can find me. I will be your mom. I I will be your, I will be your, your queer mama. And, um, yeah, it's sometimes people and also people will surprise us. You know, um, when I told, you know, my mom about me and like, and my son, I thought that she was going to, 
just be negative because she tends to lean towards the negative. But she she really wasn't. And the response was, well, as long as he's happy and as long as you're happy and, you know, people people can surprise you. But 100 percent safety is is the priority. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent. That just and got me so, emotional. He just saying that. That's it's <laughs> amazing. Like the the strength. That's just. What would be some tips? Because obviously, um, I think we're learning as a community how to be more mindful of our patients and you know different journeys that they're traveling um, when they when they're coming into you. For our trans patients, as as a mother of a trans child, what are some ways that we can be respectful in the way that we approach our trans patients and make sure that we're, you know, we're doing it in the right way? Um, not assuming anyone's gender is yeah. the most important thing. So asking a preferred name and preferred pronouns so even you know and i know it's just kind of like asking every single person it seems kind of overwhelming but just you you can ask in a way so and you preferred to be called you know and let them fill in the blank um and just kind of lead with that. And it just, it opens the door instead of just being like, and your pronouns are she, her, you know, it, it, it puts them yeah. in kind of a, a defensive mode. So, so yeah. And in that way you're creating a, a safe space. And, and that's what my, what I try to aim for. You know, I have, I have that patient for an hour. I want to make a safe space for them. That's that's the most important thing for for me. And I know it's like, no, Queen, the teeth are the most important thing. And and to me, no, it's not. Um, creating a safe space is the most important thing, and everything else will fall into place. We actually have we have that on our medical history form at work. It says like name and then preferred name, and then our computer like system has the preferred name section as well, so that we make sure because lots of people don't use their actual name like uh, you know I think like for lots of different reasons but you've got a name that you need to go on the record for you know your insurance or something like mm -hmm, that but right. you know we'll use a different name so I think you know it's not a hard thing to do to make sure you just ask what people want to be called yeah absolutely yeah and it's not and it's not hard to use a preferred pronoun either it's yeah you know when when my son first told me and at first i was like what now and with, with the name thing it was more of an ego thing for me like i chose this name for you and you don't want to use it like i was so dramatic about it like i picked a good <laughs> name and how dare you um but it was all ego and it was like if i if all i have to do to make is use a different word to make my child feel loved and wanted and accepted and reduce the risk of suicide by like 40, I think it's, 
40 to 60 percent is is just you change the word that i use then uh, yeah i'll i'll do it if could it be a phase oh yeah it could whatever It, it might be but if it's not then i'm saving my child's life and it's probably not a phase and then i am saving my child's life but you know what you're also doing at the same time, Johnny, is showing like a massive amount of unconditional love, which is yeah. huge. Well, here's some very scary figures for trans kids. Data indicates that 82% of trans in, transgender individuals have considered killing themselves and 40% yeah. have attempted, which yeah. is pretty horrific um, numbers. And yeah, I think if we can do small little things that aren't hard to do, um, do not make our life difficult at all to do them and can make someone feel more accepted. You know, what, what's your excuse for not doing it really? I just think it's it's a basic, you know, basic thing to, human to provide. Yeah. yeah. How has the school experience been for your son? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's always been really uh, difficult. The, he has ADHD as well and um, I suspect he is on the autism spectrum I don't know if they use spectrum anymore actually but I suspect he has autism we're waiting uh, for him to be tested so but school has always been a struggle and um, we're probably gonna have to go private if we want school to end up being a great experience so I'm you know gonna have to win the lottery so you know good good vibes guys <laughs> and hopes as and, a mom hopes and how, prayers y'all hopes and prayers as a mom, how found the experience of your child becoming transgender pardon as a as a mother how have you found that experience was there like a sense of mourning in some in some respects oh yeah 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 because I just, you know, I had, I had a whole idea of, you know, who this child was supposed to be. And I had to let that go and realize that was just all a learned, basically like a learned kind of, I, I don't want to say like narcissism, but just like a a, a human like narcissistic need of I'm going to identify through you instead of allowing you to be your own person and establish your own identity. And I think as parents, we tend to do that. We, okay. we kind of forget that our children are people. Um, they're individuals with their own personalities and souls and um, they're, they're going to grow and be who they are regardless of the, influence that we put on them i and i i have three children and you know as as they age i have a 13 8 and 6 year old and they couldn't be more different from one another and that that right there is enough for me to know that my influence only goes so far hmm. yeah. yeah and we kind of look at it like they're an extension of ourselves so you, yeah. it's like you take so much of that so personally, the way they behave, mm-hmm. how they achieve, how they don't achieve, you know, 
where it's not that, you know, you just need to be there to support them. And it's not about you. Like you said, it's about them and their journey in this life. Yeah. And just, they have just being there. to. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I always say about my daughter. Like I can warn her about everything, but she literally has to just crash and burn on her own. And then she'll come back and be like, you know, mom, you were right. Which I love that she's able to do that. But like, I can only say so much and, and just let her do her thing. And she's a freshman in college. So there's been a lot of, a lot of that letting her do her thing. And, and, you know, be, I have to be very cognizant of my response, even down to my facial expressions when she's sharing something with me that I'm like, <sighs> you know, like looking, just hearing it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're like telling me that this is what happened. But I, I have to just come to it so open and be like, all right, you know what? Um, I, I can't behave this way because then this conversation stops and as yeah. uncomfortable as this conversation may be right now, it's important that it's even happening. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's just parenting is the most important job, but the hardest job at the same time that comes with zero instruction manual. And, um, it's just, you know, it's nice to, to be able to have conversations like this. And, and I thank you for your openness because it allows us to number one, know that a, you know, as parents, we're on the same boat, but B, I think, you know, when you bring that to the table in other arenas of your life and just have that, that ability to, you know, be unjudgmental and come with compassion and love and, and, and create, as you were saying, a safe space for other human beings. It's, it's just so important in the way that what we project and the energy we put out in this world. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't take that much, <laughs> you know, it really doesn't. It really doesn't. But I think, I think so many of us are just, we're so scared. So many people are just in a, a state of fear and have their walls up and they can't create safety because they're, they're not safe. Yeah. When we look at dental hygiene, especially in Australia, the UK, um, the US, it's very white heterosexual. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, that's how it's displayed. Obviously, it's made up of all different people, but the majority of it, it's a whitewash, like hetero. Like, you know, you go to these big conferences and that's what you see. How does it make you feel not to see that diversity displayed when we're kind of out there, you know, when it's all on show, it's very much a white show. (laughs) And and how does that make you feel as a black queer dental hygienist? I mean, it used to make me feel very insecure, like just very bad about myself um, and like just not want to be a hygienist, if I'm being honest. Like I just, like I didn't fit. There's no, there's no, like there was no space for me. I did not belong. Like I couldn't even be a hygienist. And now when I see it, it makes me want to make room for me. And all it does is make me want to come on a podcast and say things that I feel need to be said um, as discombobulated as some of my thoughts are um and just you know get into speaking get into you know writing more because 
the world needs faces like mine. And as, as long as someone is has the right message, they, they deserve to be there. But I, I think, you know, brown voices, queer voices, you know, dare I say male hygiene, <laughs> you know, um, the just my minority voices need to be amplified. And I was looking at, um, well, I won't say, but it, it was a picture of a bunch of hygienists and most of them were, were white. And it was for like the next year for like a board of something or other. And I just like, I had a thought there was like one brown face in the whole picture. And it was like, what would people's reaction be if it, it was reversed? Like if most of the faces were brown and there was like two white people in there, what, what were, would people's reaction be to that? I bet there would be an uproar about it. There, there would sure. be. And yeah. it's just, why, why can't there be just more space? So, yeah, it just, it just, it just makes me want to be louder at, at this point. It yeah. makes me want to be louder and braver. And so what do you think we can do as an industry to make sure that we are making sure women women and men of colour are feeling more accepted but also wanting to come into this career? Like why do you think why do you think this career is so white? Uh, I'm scared to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't be. Um, well, because systemic issues, um, yeah, I would say systemic racism and and (laughs) of color is we're in agreement with you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it makes. We make it harder for women, especially women of color, to go to college or to university, and you know, um, patriarchy, and you know, just all the big, all the big ones. But I think here's here's where I start getting kind of like radical, Um, which which is something my ex husband said when I started ranting and raving about something. He was like, "You're radical." I'm like, "Yeah, you're just figuring this out." So I don't think. I don't think anything's going to change by dentistry or the powers that be or the people in charge making room. No, right. nothing has ever changed. Revolutions have never happened by the the people in charge saying, okay, here, we, we were, we're going to hand this over to you. We're going to make space for you. The people have had to take it. So until we decide that we are fed up and start taking that power back, nothing's going to change. We, so by me saying, I'm going to be loud and I'm going to take my space, 
I'm going to make room for myself. And until more people start doing that, that the, the room won't be made. The, the space won't be there. We have to take the space. No, one's no one likes giving up power. No one likes giving up their space. It, it has to be taken. You're just like giving me so much energy right now. You're, I love what you're saying and you're, you're a hundred percent right in order to make a revolution happen. Like it, you, you need to just stand up and, and say, this is what I'm doing. And other people will find power in you putting yourself out there and they will join you in this revolution. Yeah. So I, I would love to help and encourage you in any way possible to get you out in the speaking world, to get you writing articles, to get you to raise awareness of your experiences because your voice is important and it does need to be heard. And your voice will influence, even if it just influences one other human being to open and use theirs, then it's worth it. Well, thank you. Cause I just feel like I talk too much. <laughs> no, <laughs> so that's encouraging. <laughs> you do not. And, and I mean, everything that you have to say is so relevant and valuable and your experiences. I mean, you know, I openly will share, I've been through a ton of therapy in my life and we all, every human being has some, some sense of trauma, right? And it's all about like, how, how do you deal with it? And how do you kind of shift it to, to make uh, this world a better place? Because we do live in this really kind of negative, nasty, evil place, but I feel like it's our job to bring love and light to it the best way we can. And, um, you know, like when you, when you're able to look at the bigger picture and you're able to share and, and get beyond that state of being scared. I mean, my girl Tabitha listened to me for years about being scared of putting things that I had ideas about putting out into this universe, you know, because who am I to say these things? Who am I to, to think I'm an authority on anything to share, you know? And when you live in that headspace, it's so unhealthy and it's so hard because it's like you don't focus on the good stuff that the gifts that you've had and and the difficulties you've had through your life were there for a reason because they shaped and molded you and prepared you for what you're ultimately created to do and but if you just focus on that and not being good enough and not being ready enough you're never going to be ready enough you just have to jump and you just have to go for it yeah that is true so, so I, you know, what do you see in the future for you? You, you, you've come back to the practice in um, Detroit now and you, you're working in a practice where you're feeling obviously a lot more comfortable. Are you enjoying hygiene more now? I like, I love it. It's honestly Excellent. like what I've, I feel like I was just like made to be a hygienist, to be honest, which is so funny because when I first started doing it, I was so awkward with it and just so so insecure so unsure of myself and i just i always look back at like how i've been shaped over a, you know the last 15 years and how how different i am um but yeah i love it so yeah so yeah i am um i'm currently i've just been accepted to uh wayne state university here in detroit and um, start in January to pursue um, community uh, community health education. So I am hoping to become a certified health education specialist. 
Um, I love letters. I love letters after my name. So, but yeah. <laughs> so what do you um, do with that? So you get that, and what does that mean? So, so that means uh, I can basically be certified to bitch about health equity. Um, more, more <laughs> but yeah, so I will just learn more about like the law behind um, why, like health laws and why the government makes the laws around healthcare that they do. And then being able to educate people about actual, like their health, like gen gender health, sexuality, um, you know, and then like the stuff that we already kind of know as hygienists. So kind of just expanding on, on that. So if my, you know, fingers ever go out, I can lecture more and, uh, well, not that I lecture now, but at least start doing that and get into more of the education sphere. So, yeah. so for our listeners at home, can you explain health equity? So, in layman's terms, just the the imbalance of like access to healthcare, basically. Um, yeah. And in in oral health, it's something we talk about in the podcast all the time. Is that equity, that health equity, is is not great. Um, you know, access to oral health, unfortunately, globally, is really. A privilege you know the privilege yeah. get it and, and that's it and and it's it's something that um you know i feel really passionate about that oral health care shouldn't be just for a certain group of people who have the money to be able to afford it it should be available to everyone same as healthcare. look australia is set up very differently to america when it comes to healthcare. we have free health care for everything except dental, which is really weird. Um, but yeah, we have a Medicare system and, and we can, we're very similar to Canada. You know, everything's just paid for except for your teeth. Um, and it's so upsetting because we all know how important it is for overall health. Um, and we see so many other health problems come from it and we could spend less in other areas if we gave some free dental. Um, but, you know, in America, from the outside looking in, it seems, it, it seems that it's even worse for your ability uh, to yeah. Yes, absolutely. And the uh, the powers that be very much like the way that it is. And they do not want to release the power. They do not want to have, they fight very hard and lobby against any of those changes. Um, and and yet, you know, there there's there is, I, and I don't want to say this as as a benchmark to all of dentistry because there are some amazing dentists out there who believe in the opposite and believe that oral health is connected to overall health and practice and advocate for hygienists. We we are the best kept secret in healthcare, but we are only that when we practice at standard of care or above it. We're not that when we polish teeth all day long and, and throw a goodie bag at somebody and say brush and floss and that's how you're going to cure periodontal disease. That's not the answer. So there's so many variables that go along with it, but our country is a hot stinking mess when it comes to mm -hmm. dentistry and um, it, the mouth is not connected to the body. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think honestly, 
Johnny, like I'm in agreement with you when you were saying that, like, you know, nobody's going to give up their power in their seat. We need to bring like another level of this is we need to bring power to the people, right? So the patients need to know what they're not getting when they go to their appointments yes. that they should be getting. And um, that's, that's something that's near and dear to my heart. And that's something that I want to really start pursuing is, is just, you know, more public service awareness, letting people just know that this, this is why, like, you know, my family always rolls their eyes and they, they always joke about like, oh, I'm going to get a shirt for you that says like, warning, I will spontaneously start talking about teeth. But like wherever we go, you know, if, if we're at like a social gathering and somebody says something, oh, yeah, you're a dental hygienist, and they start bringing it up something with dentistry. And then, I, you know, if I educate them, hey, did you know that, you know, if you have periodontal disease, it doubles your risk for heart attack or stroke or bacteria from our mouths are found in the brains of patients that have Alzheimer's dementia. And it could be there for years before you have symptoms of it and how strongly correlated your oral health is to your overall health. And they never know. No one's ever told me this before. No, I've never heard this before. Um, you know, like airway issues, snoring, heart attack, like all of that is connected. And we can keep medical care costs down. And Cigna's already done this research and proves it that it's, you know, t getting periodontal treatment reduces medical costs. Like they've done the research. It's out there. You can look at some, a DNA report by Cigna. So it's, it's just, to me, it's mind boggling and baffling that we have not moved the needle on it, but it just comes to, you know, I'm going to say it. And it's the old white men that run dentistry. That's what it is. And it yes. needs to have, we yes. need to change. And I'm sure I'll get hate mail for saying it, but whatever it is, what it is. And, and I am, I am encouraged that there is going to be change coming because I feel that there's more females moving into dentistry. And I feel that that diverse change in dentistry is going to help us move the needle because I feel like the female mindset versus the male is a little bit more open, a little bit more nurturing. And I think that that might help us as a profession get where a little bit closer to where we would like to be. I hope so. We just, I hope so too. I, and I hope that the lawmakers follow suit because it's just, it, I get filled with rage when I, <laughs> when I think about uh, stuff that it should, that should be standard. That is just not standard. And, um, yeah. Like I've, you know, I've thought about going to dental school just so like, I'm very like, this is not right. I can do it myself. You, you know what I mean? Like I, I'd rather just do it myself. So I know that the patients are getting what they need, but it's like, I love hygiene and you know, it's like, it needs to change. And how do, how do we change it? How do we lobby? How do we give patients the power? Like what needs to happen? What kind of grassroots, you know, movement do we need to start and grow? And because that's, that's where the power is, especially nowadays with social media. Um, once the people have the power that it puts pressure on the, the law and can really, really affect change. So I'm right, Absolutely. I'm right there with you. What's because the one some thing, of the thing you, oh, sorry, ahead, what's Jen. the one thing they change in dental hygiene? What's your, like the, if you had to pick one thing, what would it be? 
um, that that dental care is considered medical care. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, just yeah, if that, yeah, that it wasn't a separate thing. Just that dental dental care was is medical care, and we're dental hygienists, we're medical practitioners, and yeah. The Charles Mayo is, said that. In, yeah, like my teeth your body something. it's in your body guys your your teeth are yeah. in your head and it's your mouth is connected to your gut and to all the bacteria it's like all everything's connected y'all yeah. yeah it's the least uh, sterile part of your entire body yeah yeah and like i was just saying charles mayo said that in the 1950s that medicine uh, dentistry is an extension of medicine it's it's just a niche just it's, like a yeah, podiatrist or exactly. a cardiologist or it's yeah instead of being considered yeah. it's more like a you know like a like i said like a barber or a nail tech or and that it that really needs to change yes yes absolutely well you know what johnny i just want to say thank you so much um for coming on our show and and being courageous enough to share some really intimate topics with us and our audience so thank you so much for that um watch this space this girl's got some some good stuff coming down the pike if people want to reach out or connect with you how can they do that so i'm on instagram um Janiel.scott.rdh. And then also my email is hype.hygienics at gmail.com. Um, I have a website coming. It's not started yet because I'm tech challenged, but <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. Um, I can help you with that. <laughs> I built mine. Can you? Yeah, because I'm. Can I'm tech challenged. It's, oh, it's, I, I'm an old guys. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying my best. So, but yeah, uh, Inst Instagram is, is best. So, well, from where we stand, you're doing a great job. So keep on, keep on killing it. Keep on rattling the cage, um, making these changes because it's necessary. And, uh, we'd love to have you back, you know, and check in with you in the future and see, how, how things maybe at the end of 2023 we'll circle back and check yeah, in and say awesome. hey what you what what happened this year johnny where you I'd at love to. i'll i'll have my hypnotherapy certification by then so oh excellent <laughs> we did a hypnotherapy. very cool very cool okay yeah yeah we did an episode on that yeah um all right cool well thank you so much for spending some time with us we really appreciate it and disruptors thank you for listening i think uh, this episode in particular will definitely get you inspired to use your voice dig deep and and keep on disrupting until next time we'll see you soon hey thank you again so much for tuning into the disrupting dentistry podcast we love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.